The Institute of Directors professional development programmes equip learners with the knowledge, skills and mindset to be enterprising and innovative, enabling organisations to become more productive and competitive. The IOD's programmes ensure directors develop an awareness of their interpersonal skills, legal and business knowledge, financial acumen, ethical questioning, decision-making abilities and the highest standards of professional conduct. The IOD is the only institute in the world to offer internationally recognised qualifications designed by directors for directors under Royal Charter. For more information on IOD training, visit iod.com today. Welcome to the Institute of Directors Business Podcast, a podcast where we interview directors from all over Scotland about their careers and business. I am your host, Marlene Lowe, UK Director for Four Bytes and long-term IOD member. Trisha Fox of Volpa is a business owner that has truly embraced what taking advantage of opportunity really embodies. Take her decision to open a business when most may be looking to batter down the hatches. Seeing a gap in the coffee retail market and setting up more coffee, a not on the high street type of coffee platform. So this week, she's not only sharing her knowledge of the marketing industry and what that entails, but also motivates us to look past the immediate future and find a way to grow. As she said, never waste a good crisis. Okay, um, so I'm Trisha Fox. I'm the founder of uh, Volpa, which is a PR and marketing agency based in Perth. Um, and uh, I grew up in Perth um, uh, before going off to university. I went to the University of Aberdeen, did a degree in English, um, then went to the University of Strathclyde, did a degree in marketing, and then went to the University of Bradford, started a PhD in corporate identity management, of all things. Um, dropped out of that and only once I had three tertiary level qualifications did I start my career. Um, but by that point in time, uh, the, the British are, are very, very suspicious of anyone who's that educated. Um, <laughs> I found it, despite having pretty much no experience, um, very difficult to get an entry level job. Um, <laughs> So I, I ended up doing what all educated people do um, and becoming a management consultant. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was um, my, my start <laughs> in, in career, um, if we could even call it that. So right from the get-go, I was um, working at a fairly senior level um, with very, very clever, very educated, very interesting people, interesting companies. Um, looking back, I think, oh my God, why on earth did they let me do that? Um, <laughs> I was pretty green behind the ears, um, had a lot of chutzpah and a lot of confidence. And um, yeah, it was fun. It was good. It was interesting. And uh, yeah, so that's how I got started in the industry. So I've, I've not had a real career. I don't, I don't think I've had a real career. You've had I'm a just, very, very interesting career. <laughs> opportunistic set of circumstances that led to, to starting a business. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Opportunistic. Go wherever the wind takes you. <laughs> Yeah, I've 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 not I've not climbed a ladder. I've just kind of zigzagged around the around <laughs> I don't know how you'd even discuss it or, or or call it, but it's certainly not a career by by most people's standards. I think more and more people are recognizing that you can have unconventional <laughs> approaches to a career, I suppose. <laughs> good description of it. <laughs> but one thing I've noticed is it doesn't matter which jobs you've had there's always one common factor to all of them that drive your passion do you know uh, what that is for you oh absolutely absolutely my um my granny who's been a big influence in my life and sadly no longer with us um she asked me when i was 11 what i wanted to do when i grew grew up and and, and i i suspect um she probably expected me to say something like i want to be an english teacher or you know a history teacher or a policeman or something like that and I said, I said, I don't, I know what I want to do when I grow up, bearing in mind it was only 11 at this point in time. Um, I said, but I don't know what it's called. 
And she went, what do you mean? I said, well, I want to go into businesses and tell them what they're doing wrong and how to put it right. <laughs> and, and I said, but I don't know what that's called. And uh, she said, well, that's called a troubleshooter, dear. And there's a man called John Harvey Jones who wrote a book about it. So he was really big in the 80s. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was like, oh, right. OK, well, then that's what I want to be when I grow up. And um, lo and behold, it's pretty much what I do in some respects today. Um, and I have read the book. I have read the book. <laughs> <laughs> but it was my granny that set me off on this path, I think. Yeah. So from troublemaker to troubleshooter, I think that sounds pretty good. Kind of, yes. I did have a, a moment where I was about 16 where I thought I might be a lawyer. But apart from that, I've pretty much been, been on this route since the get-go. Yeah. So why marketing? Oh, marketing for me is um, I, I, a bit like being bathed in a language that you already knew. So the, the best way I can describe it is, is I, I, I spent most of my educational life going through school and then initially um, university, uh, almost kind of feeling that I talked a different language from everybody else. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I arrived at Strathclyde University having, I think, opportunistically got myself onto a course there, in all honesty. <laughs> um, and that was only because they said that there was funding available for the course. And here it was. It was called marketing and did I want to do it? Um, yeah. And I was like, yeah, why not? Um, and I sat down and I think within a week I was like, oh, these people talk my language. <laughs> oh. You know, and it was like, it was almost like all the things I kind of knew or understood or, or totally was kind of, was was kind of natural to me, yeah. suddenly had terminology applied to it. And I was like, oh, that's what that's called. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So yeah, like marketing for me, I almost kind of live, eat, sleep and breathe it. Um, yeah. It's kind of running through my veins in some respects. And I love it. It's great fun. So it's is hard. there anything... Yeah. Is there anything specific of marketing that really makes your blood boil as in, in a good way? It really like invigorates you. And Well, I, I mean, I think for me that it, marketing is, in my mind, the, the biggest lever any business can use to grow. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think in the last five months, we've seen marketing as it really is absolutely come to life because everyone gets caught up in the promotional element of marketing so we yeah. love the adverts we you know we 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 see um you know pr activity we see all these all the the, the promotional outputs of marketing but in the last five months almost every business on the planet has had to pivot and i hate the saying i absolutely hate the saying but you know what they've effectively had to do is go back to the basics of marketing they've had their, had to look at their product or service they've had to look at their pricing they've had to look at their place their distribution yeah. so the actual fundamentals of what marketing is 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 actually what drives a business and its survival and its growth and its development. And that's where I get a real kick out of. And so the last five months have been, re they've been really challenging. Don't get me wrong, would rather not have gone through the last five months. Um, <laughs> but there's been so many marketing opportunities that you're like, oh my God, that's so cool. So you've got, you know, you've got gin companies suddenly becoming, you know, hand sanitization companies. Mm. I mean, if that's not a, a, a fundamental shift in product, I don't know what is. Um, you've got, you know, delivery uh, companies bringing your meals to your house. Now, to be fair, that was happening before, but on a grander scale, that's about distribution and place. And I, I, I just think that's fascinating. Yeah. Hmm. hmm. So, what? What? So, you've seen big changes now in the last five months. But what is the biggest change that you've been a part of when it comes to a client or yourself? Gosh. Um. I, it, it's hard to. I mean, we've. I've worked with hundreds of companies. Um. Yeah. You know, over a twenty-year, more than a twenty-year career. Um, so far, I, I mean, literally, we've 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 worked with businesses and taken them through quite significant growth periods, and businesses that are completely changing their product offering or how they're positioning themselves. Businesses that are being taken over, businesses that have been taken over, um, and and it would be really hard to pinpoint one. 
in all honesty. Um, that that's a really tricky question. I don't, I'm not sure I have an answer to it. So if it's maybe there's commonalities then, as opposed to one huge um, example, are there commonalities that you see in in a lot of the clients that you work with? Oh yes. If I had a pound for every time somebody said to me, "But my business is a bit different," <laughs> I would be very very rich. I would be very very rich because do you know what? everyone believes that their business is unique and and i hate to burst their bubble mm -hmm. often they're not yeah often they're not the problems are pretty much the same no matter what business you go into um the way to make money is fundamentally the same no matter what business you go into and yeah. the way to grow a business is fundamentally the same no matter what business you go into so actually most businesses are actually more similar than they think yeah. um and uh, you know, for me, that 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 it's it's it. People often think that there's a real um, dark art to marketing and growing a business, and actually, there there actually really isn't. There's maybe only three or four ways that you can grow a business, yeah. um, and once you chunk them down and go, that's the one or two that we're going to go after. Then it's pretty much about hard graft thereafter. Um, and yeah, I think I think there's 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 the commonalities is that you know most people want to grow their business yeah most people want to succeed they you know they've got something that they passionately believe in and um they they, they want to see it flourish and grow um and that's that's brilliant to be part of so this begs the question then because a lot of books that we read when it comes to growing businesses etc is is um put yourself against the competition what is your usp what makes you different but like you said most businesses maybe can't find that huge differentiator to to stick out from the crowd or stick out from their competition so what can companies do to have that what i suppose what we would call a usp yeah, I mean, there is the, the vast majority of USPs, if, if we can call them that, are, are also not very unique. Um, and and most, most businesses differentiate themselves fundamentally through their brand. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, if you want to take a typical high street as an example of this, shops are shops. Yeah. Shops all still sell stuff. They're all on the high street. So that they have that in common. Yeah. Um, some shops sell the same stuff. Yeah. Some shops even sell the same brands. So you've got, if you take Boots <laughs> and Superdrug, they're exactly the same shop. The only difference is the frontage or the pricing that they yeah. have in the, in the store. And and so so most businesses use branding, I think, as, as their USP. And around that, their set of values and their cultural identifications and how they behave as a company. Um, that's usually what sets people apart because um, most people are actually... You know, uh, one bottle of, of um, you know, sure deodorant is, is the same whether you buy it in Boots or you buy it in Superdrug, but it might be five pence cheaper in Superdrug, but you like the service in Boots. Um, so it's the yeah. service that differentiates you. And, and every company sets out its stall on different different um, offerings in that, in that regard. But the one thing that every company has control over is their brand. Yeah. You know, without a shadow of a doubt. And, and that's where they can they can develop an outward facing set of principles and and look and feel and delivery that actually makes them unique yeah. um, so it's it, you know it's it, it's a unique experience that the customer gets whether or not the actual product that they're you know that's being purchased and the experience is the same so yeah i i, I mean it, it does sound a little bit sort of simplistic um but actually fundamentally it kind of is um, we like to overcomplicate. Yeah. <laughs> so that it sounds to me then that it actually comes down to culture. In in many respects, yeah. I think I think culture is what what makes a business successful. And and I mean there are there are exceptions to that. There are exceptions. You will get you know exceptionally unique ideas, and and they do come into the market and 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 often take markets by storm um, or, or create market shifts. But but fundamentally, even within that, there's often competitors. And so what sets them apart is that cultural shift. So if you compare something yeah. like, I don't know, Deliveroo and Just Eat, 
and Uber Eats and you know all you know the, the, that market now has a plethora of of, of solution providers yeah. but people will be drawn to one or the other depending on the culture and the brand and, and how it's put across or the the quality of the, the delivery person that arrives at your door with your dinner um so or how fast they cycled up the hill to get there and how sweaty yeah. they look when they arrive I don't know um but it's it, it there there is that that cultural element I think is what really what people buy into because we're humans at the end of the day it's humans who purchase um even in business b2b so people will go b2b is different well no it's not because people work in b2b so b2b is pretty much the same it's humans that are making the decisions yeah. not computers um and and it's that personal kind of factor and in the interaction and the relationships that you create around that that's culture yeah. and that's about you know core values making sure that, that, that you know the behavior that you're projecting as a business is consistent um and and developing that trust that that people know that when they go into your organization they will get a consistent service yeah and that all comes down to the the package of what people think when they hear your name so Absolutely. that's where i want to ask now where does the name volpa come from well um, Volpa uh, is is a variation on the Latin for the name Fox. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, yeah, I, I I lived in Italy for a while mm -hmm. when I was at uni, and um, so I speak a bit a bit Italian, not very well, it has to be said. But um, and when I was thinking of what to call the company all those years ago, um, it's kind of common in our industry to put your name over the door. Yeah, in simple terms, and I thought it's a bit boring, really. Um, so I kind of looked at a creative, different way of doing it, um, and and came up with Volpa. So yeah, that's that's the reasoning behind it. Love it, love it. Clients <laughs> get it immediately. They're like, "Ah, oh, Volpa, very clever, very clever." Get it. <laughs> so Italy. So did you? What were you doing in Italy when you were at uni? I was studying English literature. In Italy, love it. <laughs> As you do. Um, uh, very, very fortunate, and uh, one of those happy opportunistic circumstances. So I think yeah. I was, I was in the pub in second year, and um, one guy was that we were speaking to is was just back from Mauritius, mm. and I said, "You went to Mauritius to study English," and he's like, "Yeah, it's Erasmus. You should get on that." And I was just like. Well, that sounds like a good deal. Yep. Um, so I toddled along to find out how you how you get to Mauritius, basically. Um, and uh, apparently they've got really big spiders in Mauritius. So that kind of <laughs> changed my opinion of going to Mauritius. And um, they said, well, you can go to Trieste in the north of Italy. And I was like, Italy? Pizza? Wine? beaches what's not to like yep. and uh, so yeah I found myself several months later on a plane with a giant suitcase um, arriving in Venice in the middle of the night none of which is actually recommended I have to say because <laughs> if you're on foot with a giant suitcase and it's in the middle of the night and it's Venice you're walking an awful long way with a very heavy bag is all <laughs> um so that was me and three three months studying in italy which was fantastic most of it was spent on the beach yeah so one thing that i've noticed with most people that travel and especially when it comes to travel for work or studying or doing something like erasmus where you really um become engaged in the culture is there's always something that they've learned to kind of change their outlook on life yeah, I, 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 the the Italians have a very um, a very family orientated culture. So mm -hmm. for them, life is about living, and um, and it's a cultural living. Um, yeah. So engaging with other people, and um, you know, spending time with your family. And what what I love about Italian life, which unfortunately UK life is just not quite geared up for, is the siesta. Um, I am I am prone to an afternoon nap, <laughs> but and, and in my defence, in case anyone thinks I'm lying down on the job, um, for me a siesta is a timed event. So it literally yeah. is a thirty minute nap. Um, I put my 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 clock on. I fall asleep 
and I'm literally up bang on the 30 minutes if you stay in bed beyond the, the the alarm going off you are doomed for the rest of the afternoon so it absolutely has to be a nap um and actually I do think that that gives you kind of almost a second wind in, it in does doesn't it yeah. yeah I used to tease my father about this relentlessly until one day I was just so tired I could not keep my eyes open so I was like okay 20 minutes that's it yeah. made the mistake of not setting alarm woke up 40 minutes later Oh, it's not too bad. It's not too bad. But it really did reinvigorate me. It was like my brain could think again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we naturally dip. Most human beings naturally dip in the afternoon anyway. So there's an yeah. argument for why the heck are you sitting at your desk pushing through that? I mean, it's just yeah. bonkers. Um, and actually, I do think that's a, a fantastic thing about Italian life. The wonderful thing about it as well, and if you've ever been to Italy, you know this, is everything shuts down. Yeah. So that go to bed for a couple of hours yeah. you know it's very civilized in that regard everything shut um during siesta and then at like four o'clock half past four they all open again and yeah. then they're open until maybe nine ten at night yeah, so it's a very different yeah. kind of lifestyle um and and I, I i love that um about it so yeah that, that to me is what perfect day looks like yeah. um and often i find myself swimming against the tide with the uk version of, of events which is yeah. just keep going <laughs> Relentless. <laughs> so looking at your CV, it looks like you have acquired a few interesting positions, adventures over the past few months. Do you want to share a bit yeah. about this? Yeah, um, I'm, uh, I, as any good entrepreneur will tell you, never ever waste a good crisis. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the, the worst thing you could do, I think, is lock down two entrepreneurs together in a house. Yeah. Um, so my husband also runs his own business. Um, we were both locked down together and honestly, it, it was like a free-for-all of ideas and <laughs> oh, we could do this, oh, we could do that. Um, because I think every business has had to really think out of the box in the last yeah. few months and, and just really kind of come up with new ideas. So anyway, out of that, one of our random conversations. So I've got, I've got three offices, all of which are completely unoccupied at the moment. Mm -hmm. All of my, my team is working from home remotely. Um, and we were literally looking at the space and thinking, what could we do with that? We could do something with that, you know, so by using your resources in a different way. Mm -hmm. And, um, we, 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 we decided that we could sell stuff. We could just buy stuff, put it in the space and sell stuff, which is yeah. his business. He does that. He buys and sells. And um, it then led into, you know, well, what could we, what could we sell? Mm -hmm. and um that then kind of developed into a conversation about how much coffee we were drinking um during <laughs> lockdown and I mean serious amounts of coffee um because we weren't able to go out and get our own sort of you know our Costa coffee hit and our yeah. coffee meetings or and I was like oh god we need to order this coffee online instead um so we were kind of aware of our own behavior and how it had changed mm -hmm. and um a little bit of research we discovered that there actually wasn't a sort of a coffee marketplace. Okay. Not just in the UK, but in the world, which we yeah. thought was kind of peculiar. So that then started an idea for a not on the high street style um, coffee platform. Ah. Yeah, for coffee lovers like ourselves. This is really just so that I can solve a problem for myself, to be honest. That's um, how good ideas start. <laughs> absolutely. So we can bring together all these brilliant artisan roasters, many of whom are quite geographically sort of, you know, based, yeah. and sell them to people who love coffee anywhere in the world. So that's what we're in the the, the stages of beta testing at the moment. So we've, okay. we've, we've put it out to a few people. There's, there's uh, we've got quite a number of people already wanting to sign up, which is brilliant. Um, and we're hoping to, to, to um, completely roll it out in, in the autumn so that we're ready for that Christmas coffee rush. <laughs> wow, that's exciting. That's it is exciting. I, it's been 18 years since I've been a startup business. Yeah. <laughs> And I have to say, it's quite different this this time round. It's really kind of different and interesting. You know, things that were complicated 18 years ago have been super simple now, which has been amazing. Mm. You know, even opening a business bank account. And you would have thought, you know, being locked down, 
you know, I remember when I opened my business bank account 18 years ago, it was a torturous experience um, involving physically going into branches, taking heaps of stuff with you, meetings with bank managers. I mean, honestly, it was just a a mad roundabout of activity. And literally, I had my business bank account with Monzo open and up and running within 24 hours of pressing buttons. And and there was the card and everything was ready to go. It was was brilliant, simple. So, yeah. So that, now I do have a question for you around that and and setting up businesses. So you've got the experience of 18 years ago today. And like you said, some things are much better. But what things do you think we've lost along the way in that startup culture community? Oh, I I mean, one of my my, um, biggest, um, I suppose, uh, intrigues is... I think a lot of businesses have actually lost the ability to market themselves. And I know that's going to sound bonkers, but when I first started Volpa, we were literally, I think we started up about two months before Facebook started. Mm -hmm. Um, So Facebook didn't exist. Twitter didn't exist. LinkedIn didn't exist. um, MailChimp didn't exist. WordPress didn't exist. All of the things that we almost take for granted as that's how you do business now. Yeah. Um, so none of these 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 um, items existed, and um, we almost our our ability to do marketing I think is hampered by a lot of these systems that are now here, because some of the things that we were doing to market ourselves maybe eighteen years ago we're definitely not doing now. Um, and I find it with younger marketers in particular is that they don't actually understand how to do it without. So if you took all these away and then said, go market your business, they would look at you blankly in panic and go, but we can't. And it's almost like the, the digital marketing sphere has become so loud and so prevalent that actually people are discounting what I would con- consider to be actually quite effective um, alternative marketing activities. So, yeah. you know, ca- call me boring. I'm a great fan, um, not of the service, but of the actual output of uh, the Royal Mail door to door service, mm-hmm. um, which actually puts physical things, marketing materials into people's houses. Yeah. Um, that's mad, isn't it? So crazy. <laughs> Uh, and it's so, so <laughs> retro um but it's really effective it's really effective at, at generating sales for certain types of products for certain businesses and a lot of businesses just don't even consider things like that yeah because they think facebook is is the solution to everything because they can see their audience and they can get their stats and i appreciate it. it's very difficult to, to to measure leaflets that go into houses but you know if you can get in front of 20,000 households in one hit, that actually, you might get, you know, two or 3,000 people on a Facebook post, but it's nowhere near the same kind of response rate. So I do, I do feel as, as, as time has gone on that, that, that knowledge has, has been eroded. Mm. Um, and I, I do worry for the future of some of these industries because actually they're really effective. Yeah but people are not using them nearly as much as they were. Yeah. Well, maybe it's an opportunity for businesses to do something different now and go down the, or or not solely go down the electronic group, actually start investigating how the, the physical advertising could work. One thing I do want to ask around that as well, though, is, is when we think of marketing, like you alluded to earlier, generally people think marketing the same way where when you say branding, someone thinks logo. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so you must have quite um, in-depth discussions at this point with businesses that, that need, dare I say it, re-education <laughs> into what that means. Yeah, I, I, I think businesses, that get it get it yeah businesses that don't sometimes will never get it okay it's my experience here yeah um they will always refer to it as the logo 
Yeah. And um, and it's almost a surface level exercise. Yeah. Because they don't understand that a brand is so much more than just a logo. Um, and I suppose that's where my sort of my failed PhD in corporate identity management kind of comes into play because I do know that it's a lot more than that. But um, you know, it, 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 it's it's a little bit like people see marketing as the promotional aspects only. And I ask them, you know, what's your pricing strategy, and they want to know why I want to know that. Yeah. Um, so there, there's 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 almost like a it's a filter that, that people have created that they almost can't get past. Um, and, and I don't know if, I don't know without sort of really education and educating themselves as to really what, what these tools can do. Um, you know, then it, 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 it's very difficult to get past that. I mean, actually in, in all of the marketing mix, my favorite tool is pricing. Yeah. Pricing is probably one of the most effective levers in growing a business and everyone underestimates it. Everyone thinks pricing means going in lower and actually you can have some very clever and very sophisticated pricing strategies that will make the difference between profit and not profit, yeah. um, between growth and not growth. And, and, you know, it's a very underplayed marketing tool. Mm. What would be your hope for marketing as an industry going forward? I, I, I mean, I think the marketing industry is, is an extremely fragmented industry. Um, it's a big one. It's a big industry. It's got a lot of players doing a lot of different things, um, all with different areas of expertise. And I, I, my, 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 my main challenge I think is that the buyers of marketing services believe we are all one and the same mm -hmm. and that makes it very difficult to compare apples with dinosaurs or giraffes with pears or so you they, they, they there's an assumption that a marketing agency can do certain things and actually perhaps that's what a design agency does or yeah. that a design agency can do marketing but no that's what a marketing agency does and i blame the industry for this we we have made it so complicated that actually the client really doesn't know what they're buying unless yeah. they're marketers and that's the weird and wonderful thing about our industry is that we're predominantly set up to be purchased by people who know what they're purchasing i.e marketing people interesting yeah most agencies have designed themselves so that the marketing director the head of marketing purchase them yeah but if you're a smaller business if you're a managing director of a you know a smaller company an sme you may not come from a marketing background in fact it's highly unlikely that you will most of them will come from an accounts background or a technical background that, that, that specializes in whatever that that company does and their understanding of marketing is not the same as dare i say it, a marketing educated buyer yeah so they don't know that they're buying a design agency when actually what they need is a PR agency for yep. instance and yep. what you always get is a tension between well I thought it would do x y and z but it hasn't marketing doesn't work yep. and that's really difficult to get round because you do know that, that, that actually it's because the buyer doesn't know enough about the the the, the, the breadth of services mm. so it's it's almost the wrong tool for the job yeah. you know it's hammer to to, to to slam through jelly it doesn't work and, and I think my hope for the marketing industry is that we can help to better educate businesses in general mm -hmm. about what marketing actually is yeah, and, and how they can use it better. Um, and that, that we're a big toolbox of mm -hmm. skills and, and that actually not all tools are the right ones for the job. Yeah. Um, and often, I mean, most of the, when people say oh, we need a bit of marketing or a bit of publicity, my first question to them is always, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Because their interpretation of marketing might be completely different to mine. Mm -hmm. Nine times out of 10, what they want is sales. Yeah. What they want is sales. 
And you're like, well, sales and marketing are two different things. Yes, they work together, but they're two different things. So, you know, and most businesses do want to grow and they and sales is the mechanism to do that. But in some industries, marketing is the tool that, that, that leverages that. And in others, direct sales is the tool that leverages that, mm. not marketing. So some, some businesses need to employ a salesperson. That's yeah. sometimes that simple. Uh, and I'd rather say that to them, like, do you know what? All of this marketing activity that you think is great, it's not going to work unless you get a salesperson. Yeah. You know, we can market until we're blue in the face, but if there isn't somebody to sell it and get it over the line, it doesn't matter. So I suppose that's where you now see that a lot of, especially larger corporations are now amalgamating the two into the one department. Hmm. Do you think that's wise, smart? How would you go about it? Um, yeah, I, I, I've, I've always been perplexed by the tension between sales and marketing um, because in my mind, one feeds the other. Mm. Um, you know, marketing is, is there to help consumers buy and sales is there to help them buy quicker, I think. Yeah. You know, so that, that, that really is the function of the two, the, the two um, areas. So we can, on the marketing side, we can create awareness and understanding. We can drive engagement with the product or the service. We can, we can get it to a certain point. And I, I think, you know, I'm speaking in almost like a P, B2B kind of context here. It's a salesperson that gets it over the line. Yeah. Absolutely a salesperson that gets over the line. Um, Whereas in a consumer element, marketing has a bigger role to play yeah. because the consumer is often in charge of the purchasing behavior. So it's purchasing, not selling. Yeah. Um, so whether you're buying tickets or you're buying product or whatever that is, then marketing does have a, a bigger role to play. There's nobody running around the high street going, buy, buy sure, it's much better deodorant than this one. So, you know, that doesn't happen. But yeah. It's fundamentally the same thing, but it's understanding that funnel. Um, you know, it's uh, in, in sales, it's people that buy from the salespeople. Um, and and I, I think the two work, they have to work together. They have to work together, you know, it's bonkers. I've got a two part question here for you then. One is what advice, if any, do you have for the companies looking to amalgamate or combine their sales and marketing into one department? And one for those SMEs that don't have the background in marketing, where can they go to educate themselves or where's a good starting point for them to really understand what they need? Ooh, right. So for the companies that are, are bringing together their sales and marketing departments, I would absolutely be doing that. And I would, I would be looking at it from the context of what is the, what is the process in your customer? in your company for the customer to purchase. Mm. So, you know, at what point does the marketing job finish and the sales job start? Yeah. Um, how can marketing support that sales activity? Um, and similarly, what do the salespeople need from the marketing team in order to do better? So that's, in my mind, it's part of the same process um, and to look at it as a process, not as a department or a department that maybe need to talk to each other occasionally. Yeah. Um, so that's, and, and, and absolutely do it. You know, don't, don't think that they're separate. They are part of, a same, of the same process. Um, with regards to smaller businesses understanding marketing, um, I, I think I think it is challenging because there isn't there isn't a one there's no one book that you can read. Um, you know, <laughs> I did a degree in it, so I know there's lots of books you can read. You probably don't have time to read them all. Um, how can you how can you find out a bit more about it? Well, the Charter Institute of Marketing has a has a good website. Um, and there, there are some materials there that are accessible to, um, I suppose, the general public. Whether or not they're not understandable to the general public, I'm not entirely sure. So you might want to just tread carefully in that land. But, you know, reading things like Marketing Week, and there's loads of marketing um, magazines out there. Um, you will get a feel, a very quick feel for how different... Um, the talk is the, the language that marketers speak and that might i think help people understand that it's not just about 
Facebook or um, MailChimp or whatever it is, that it's much, much wider than that. It's a strategic function of a business. Uh, and, and, and it's the equivalent of saying, you know, um, you know, the finance department, how can they get to grip with adding up? Um, it's 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 a very it's a much wider function um, yeah. in that and and you know go to marketing events marketing events are quite fascinating even I find them fascinating I'm like goodness me what has this got to do with marketing but you know it 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 is it is a really um, strategic level thinking um, kind of profession really um, and I say that because I, I it's interesting I bridge to um, two professions because I'm I'm also a member of the Charter Institute of Public Relations yeah. um, which a lot of people think is marketing too um, and then you know PR is, is is quite different quite different marketers think PR is a subset of marketing mm-hmm. PR thinks marketing is something strange and 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 you know they don't understand why they don't take them more seriously and it's a very interesting um, to be on both sides of the fence um, yeah. at the same time so yeah it, it's PR in, in my mind is, has got a really strong um, a strong presence in terms of engaging with your customers and your publics and mm. actually that is a huge lever in your business too a strategic yeah. so yeah it's interesting so within the marketing PR sphere that creative environment is it customary or allowed if you will for layman's like me to almost like shop around talk to several of you is it is that okay within the industry it's generally not frowned upon or no our industry our industry pitches for a living um so often what we would get is a brief um some good some bad um and uh, you know marketers would be wanting a business problem to solve so that would be the kind of brief that we would get. You know, we want to grow by 10% next year. We're sitting at X. We want to get to Y. How? Yeah. That's a perfect marketing brief. Um, you know, a PR brief would be, you know, we want to very specifically engage with the business market and we want to raise our profile in this market. Here are all the things that we want to see. What, what do you think we could be doing? Um, what's a creative way to do this um, and and yeah we pitch for a living so you know you will get maybe maybe two or three companies you don't want to go more than that because yeah. realistically pitching is hard work um, it's hard work for the agency but it's also hard work to sit on the other side of the pitch and I've, I've been in both positions as well um, and listening to three or four pitches in a row is is tiring it's really tiring it's it's a lot of work goes into just listening so intently to so many ideas um and uh, yeah you can you can cherry pick the ones that 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 you think are going to deliver you know according to your brief but also what i would say is our business and this comes back down to the culture and the people um if you don't think you can work with them do not no matter how rational you think their solution is do not because you've got to work with these people and it's not something you can just outsource and get off your desk Mm. the marketing function is so integral to your business you'll have to work very closely with whatever agency that you put in place so making sure that there's a cultural fit is an absolute must yeah do you get that a lot that people will come and just say fix it for me yeah (laughs) a lot (laughs) or or make it stop (laughs) or do you think you can keep that out of the press no (laughs) also common Uh, i mean it's it is really interesting the press the press is a particular i mean most most people who are in a crisis situation the first question they ask is do you think you can keep this out of the press and it's it's very difficult to try and explain to people that the press is not a court of judgment yeah so if if i were to speak to the press and say to them that which the person over there has said is factually inaccurate and untrue Mm. the press are still within their own rights entitled to write up they said that and they said that yeah (laughs) because what the press do is they report what is happening and so if they're saying that and they're saying that and they don't concur they can still report it yeah 
and from a consumer perspective or, or you know a business perspective you think well how can they write lies and it's like well they're not actually writing the lies what they're saying is it has been claimed that blah blah said why and abc said something completely different yeah and it's still a story and it, it you know i think that's the biggest challenge i think that that, that and on the pr side that, that we certainly find when businesses come and say keep it out of the press or fix it <laughs> we're not magicians yeah we're not magicians um <laughs> All we can do is make sure that, that your position is put forward and that any areas that are genuinely cast in doubt should perhaps be shuffled away and not, not written about. But fundamentally, the story will still exist. What do you think makes a good marketer? Wow. An open mind. Mm -hmm. An open mind because every business that you go into every industry that you work in and work across there are there are opportunities everywhere and if you don't have an open mind to what these opportunities might be could be might look like then you'll never see them mm -hmm. and i i think that's probably the, a core skill that almost every marketer should have is that, that every marketer should be able to see the potential of yeah, a business yeah. or a market or new markets or new products or new services because that's fundamentally what we do mm -hmm. and you've got to be open to always changing mm -hmm. you know because if you don't change you know you, you you you've got to move with the market and we again i keep coming back down to this this pandemic but you know the market shift in the last five months has been enormous yeah and and almost seismic on a global scale and and we keep talking about this new normal which i'm not keen on i'm really not keen on this new normal kind of concept but <laughs> you know that what they're really saying is people's behavior has changed yeah and and consumer behavior um is is a really fascinating aspect of marketing there are whole whole companies set up to look at this mm -hmm. and what we as humans do and how we do it um and um, you Psychology. see these wonderful shifts in, you know, people behaving en masse differently. And it's fascinating. And there's so many opportunities in that. So many, it, the coffee platform was yeah. just, a, you know, you, 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 we were sat in our back garden thinking, why has nobody done this? <laughs> why has nobody done this? It's, it's almost inconceivable in an age yeah. where, literally buy anything on the internet that nobody has taken the time and the care to collate all these fabulous products on coffee in the same place i wonder if that's because there's still a fight if you will to be the sole coffee that someone will buy so it's still like wanting to capture the market as opposed to working as a collective well yeah but that's just a that's a mad idea i mean if you take, it is when you think about it it's a completely crazy concept that you as, as an individual coffee supplier in let's just say bolton um are going to capture the entire world market for coffee i mean i don't know if it's daft or arrogant or both but you know if if you think about it if you're a beer you make beer. Let's say we make beer. So that's a really established industry. It's been around for hundreds of years, as has coffee, to be fair. Yeah. But, you know, if you want to sell beer, you don't just set up a shop to sell beer, your beer, nobody else's beer. You <laughs> sell it through pubs. And, and the consumer can go into a pub and they can go, oh, beer one, beer two, beer three, beer four, beer five, beer six. Oh, look, there's hundreds of beers. I'm going to have that beer today. Yeah. And actually, you know what? I'm going to have one pint of that and then I'm going to have one pint of the other one. And then I'm going to have another pint of the other one. And actually you could have 10 beers in one night if you're British and still stay yeah. standing. <laughs> so, you know, and that's perfectly normal in the beer market. It's perfectly normal in the spirits market. And yeah. um, it's perfectly normal in almost every other market. But in coffee, this massive market, which is global, there ain't no coffee shop you can walk into and go, I'd like a Costa coffee today. And then actually afterwards, I'm going to have a Starbucks. Yeah, that's actually really interesting. It's true. They, they, they're 
it's almost like there's a loyalty to a specific brand in the coffee shops, but also as individuals. Yeah, and it doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> you go to Starbucks and Costa Coffee. Why? Because yeah. you're either in the area of the Starbucks or the Costa Coffee or the local coffee shop or whatever it is. Yeah. There's no, and, and, and it is a taste-based market. Yeah. So it's entirely feasible for people to say, I love a Costa Coffee or I love the taste of Starbucks. Yeah. And, and yet there is actually nowhere I can't think of any cafe that's they'll sell multiple types of coffee. So you can maybe get Brazilian coffee and Chilean coffee mm -hmm. and African coffee. Um, and they might have three or four blends or, or unique, you know, things, but they're all under their own brand. Yeah. It's just peculiar. It doesn't make sense. No other market does that. Just coffee. Yeah very strange so I, I i see i see opportunities in there and same, similarly with you know every coffee roaster has their own website mm -hmm. but if you love coffee if you're a consumer who loves coffee and you love exploring new tastes and new coffees and you're quite adventurous and you're like you're not stuck on i just like Costa coffee <laughs> let's face it we're not like that consumers like to explore taste yeah um there's nowhere you can go to do that yeah at all. So as can I go on to more coffee now and, and order coffee or is that the next? Not yet. Oh, <laughs> Just we want to wait. try new coffee now. <laughs> yeah, no, if you wait two weeks, we're, we're releasing our own blends. So we've got, we've got our own blends. Mm -hmm. And then probably about two to three weeks after that, we will start putting the roasters on the site because there's, there's yeah. quite a bit to be done there. Um, and then hopefully we will have, you know, in, in run up to Christmas, there will be choices of 10, 15, 20. I don't know how many roasters we'll have. I, I mean, yeah. hundreds eventually, because that's what we're on a mission to do. We're on a mission to boast the most roasts. Dead simple. We want loads of cool coffees in one place so that yeah. coffee lovers around the world can go. That's where I can get a fix for something cool and something new and explore new tastes. Yeah. Because we're not. You know, it's, it's a bit like the pub of the coffee world. That's, that's <laughs> my head. We now need to have a specific word that's not cafe or pub, but only relates to online coffee purchases where you can buy all the coffee that you want in one place. So this, I, I mean, this I think is, 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 you know, fundamental. It's looking at other distribution models, this open mind, you know, because my, my, my husband was like, why is that, you know, why is that different? And I was like, well, if you think about it, if you go to a coffee shop, you can only order the coffee they got yeah and yet they're specialists in coffee yeah that doesn't make sense mm -hmm. uh -uh. no it doesn't no it just doesn't make sense you go into a pub and they only offered one beer and it was the one they made out the back you as a consumer <laughs> would be like why and yet we accept this in probably one of the biggest markets every day yeah it's accepted as normal why? <laughs> yeah, when you say it like that, you kind of sit there going, "Why didn't I think of this before?" <laughs> In my back garden, I had exactly. This. I was like, "Why does this not exist? <laughs> Why do people not behave like this? This does not make sense to me." But it was so obvious when we, you know, when it came out of my head, I was like, yeah. "God, let's do this," <laughs> you know. One thing that I've noticed when talking to you is. Um, how you describe a successful marketer or a good marketer, a fantastic marketer, looks like the same traits that you would describe for an entrepreneur. Definitely. So could Definitely. you say that now, now, now I'm going to ask something that's a little bit harder. Do you think that every marketer could be a successful entrepreneur and vice versa? Oh my. Yeah. I, I don't see why not. I don't see why not. Entrepreneurs yeah. are kind of, entrepreneurs are different um entrepreneurs a lot of entrepreneurs have sales some sort of sales gift mm -hmm. um which is obviously linked to the marketing so they know how to get a product sold yeah um there's a special i think entrepreneurs have a special gene um <laughs> or a learned skill and i can't decide whether it's one or the other to be honest yes. um I, I think in my case it's probably genetic in in mm -hmm. some respects but uh, it it we 
have an ability to not see barriers that others do yeah and I can't explain it it's just there it's just what you do it's just you know people people will describe it as different things like balls of steel I don't actually think I have balls of steel <laughs> but by other people's standards I do my my appetite for risk is completely different um you know starting a business in a pandemic probably not clever or very clever because how many oh, genius yeah but like well we're, when most businesses are finding it really challenging all I saw was was loads of opportunity I and it would be it would be daft to let that pass yeah I actually read a quote and I'm going to misquote this um till the dogs come home but I read a quote once where it said that successful businesses are not the ones that slow down when times get tough but batten down the hatches and keep going as though not as though nothing's happening but they continue the marketing they continue the sales they don't for lack of a better phrase they don't freeze yeah they totally. don't withdraw they don't completely like hold, shield themselves and go into a lovely blanket fort they yeah. go okay this is a challenge time to overcome it and I think that's where you find a lot of businesses businesses succeed is because of the the senior management owners who whole company the culture where they say we're not going to let this stop us this is not going to be the thing that stops us from doing business absolutely and I, I you know I, I was actually speaking to somebody earlier today um, about what's what is worrying me about this this situation that we're in at the moment we are seeing increasingly and uh, and worryingly companies who are just not planning ahead mm. it's almost like someone removed their future yeah and and we've kind of forgotten that we are here and we're now and that the future is still there it will come back yeah and understanding that that you know we uh, we as a business have been affected by the pandemic um in volpa so we mm -hmm. lost a lot of business on the events and the tourism side of things as a result of this mm -hmm. um and largely that's down to either an, an inability to forward plan because events plan months out and obviously the circumstances are such that these events have not been able to take place this year and yeah. probably into next year as well on the tourism side again they plan far ahead and what we've seen is that, that that so so many businesses have just simply stopped planning yeah and i i genuinely am worried that when things do start to speed up and they are starting to speed up these guys it's going to take them so long to get back into what that looks like and also things have been changing as we've been planning so to be able to adapt to that and be agile enough to change, uh, you know, I think, I think the, the upward learning curve for a lot of businesses is going to be very steep yeah. um, if they don't start soon, because, you know, we are, we are absolutely, we're going to get through this. Mm. We are going to get through this pandemic. Consumer behavior is going to change, may not change drastically, but even if it changes slightly, it's still changed yeah. and we are going to go through it in a recession mm. so so competition for business is going to be fierce and it's going to be yeah. fiercer than it's ever been and I do think that the businesses need a they need a route plan for that you know we have one you know we've spent the last five months looking at how we reshape our business what we're doing how we're going to do it um you know it's it's not perfect it'll never be you know a plan that necessarily is the plan that we always wanted to do but it's a plan yeah. and we can work with it and we can shape it and we can bend it and and as we go forward um but it it enables us to keep moving forward and that was the one thing as soon as this happened I mean we did like what every business did and batten down the hatches a little bit mm. but I upped the marketing spend mm. immediately upped it and went we need to keep pushing forward we need to keep pushing ourselves out there because this will recover yeah. and you know we, we we need to be there we need to not disappear mm. and and so so many businesses have just disappeared 
they're not part of the conversation they're not part of the community they're they're just not engaging and um you know and i've i've stood up into um i've stood on to the Perth City Leadership Forum as well to be part of the rebuilding because ultimately you know this is my community this is my town this is you know this is the place where my business is I need to be part of that solution I need to be part of its future um, and if we don't step up then nobody you know who else is going to step up so yeah I'm there and you know give me the tools and we'll we'll help dig ourselves out of this because we, yeah. we all need to work together. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. The Institute of Directors is in the heart of all major cities and continues to represent your point of view as a business leader, both locally and nationally. Our objective is to ensure that your views are taken into account when the government is reviewing policy, legislation, or seeking the opinions of the wider business community. If you're interested in joining the IOD, please visit www.iod.com. Also take the opportunity to listen to our other IOD podcast, Policy Voice. To join the conversation and share your thoughts in today's episode, engage with us on Twitter or join the IOD LinkedIn Scotland group. We hope the rest of your week goes well and look forward to sharing another episode with you next week. Bye.